Welcome back. Noah Willingham with you for one final hour here on The Fan before we hand things over to the Nats Radio Network. It is Ryan Zimmerman weekend here in our nation's capital as the team taking this weekend to honor number 11, the great Ryan Zimmerman. will have his jersey retired here today. We'll have the full coverage of that ceremony right here on The Fan following myself. But before we went to break, we started talking about the Manders. We started talking some Washington Commanders, and I posed a question out there for you guys to tap in with me on the MGM National Harbor listener lines, 1-800-636-1067. You can also tap in with me on Twitter as well, at N-E-L-L underscore BTP. Mandatory minicamp just wrapped up uh, for this football team. And this is the last time you know the media is going to get to see this group until training camp. And barring, you know, any crazy cuts or last minute signings, this is what the roster is going to look like for the Washington Commanders, you know, in the preseason and really leading up to week one. So with that being said, what is your number one concern for this Washington Commanders football team as we get ready to head into training camp? And as I'm sitting there getting prepared for the show, I'm like, man, obviously I have come on here and been very bullish uh, on the prospects for this team this season and just how well I think that they can perform. Obviously, you address the quarterback position, bringing in a guy with the talent of Carson Wentz that you just haven't had here in our nation's capital at that quarterback position. He, he is has the opportunity, in my opinion, to be transcendent here, has the ability to rewrite the narrative on his career here in Washington with a cast of weapons that are nothing to sneeze at. Talking about guys like Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel. But... As bullish as I am on Washington heading into the season, it ain't perfect. There, There is definitely some items on the docket that give me a little unrest, that give me some cause for concern. And this is really, I, I'm going to shape this as a PSA out there to the Washington Commanders fan base. And look, I'm a part of the fan base as well. I'm a fan just like you guys are out there. As a fan base who tends to be very reactionary and negative to every little piece of news that we hear coming out of Ashburn nowadays, we need to be prepared as fans for the prospect of the Washington Commanders trading wide receiver Terry McLaurin. Now, in nowhere when I said that that I say I am hoping that the team moves on from Terry McLaurin. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world for the team, if they're unable to come to terms on a new contract, to move on. And I'm asking Ron Rivera and company to move with some foresight, to not be reactionary for once. Obviously, negotiations are hot and heavy right now. And the way these negotiations go, it, it can get tenses. Because the, w- the way this thing normally plays itself out, 
is the team initially comes with an extremely low offer to the player. And a lot of the times, depending on the character of the agent and the player, that low ball offer can be taken as a slap in the face almost. Because from the player's perspective, and especially Terry McLaurin, who has had to deal with the revolving door that Washington has had at quarterback since he's been here. And despite those factors that could have held Terry McLaurin back and could have been used as an excuse, he's took it in stride. He's taken it in stride. And it's been the consonant professional and pro for the Washington Commanders. You hear people say it all the time. If they had 53 number 17s on the club, you know, maybe this team would win some more football games. So it's not about Terry McLaurin, the person. It's not about Terry McLaurin, the football player. Why I'm saying we should be prepared for the prospect of having to move on from McLaurin. I say that because this is just this is just a bad time to be a team having to pay a wide receiver. As you all are aware, this wide receiver market exploded this offseason with mega deals given to guys like Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill, Cooper Cup, Christian Kirk <laughs> even exploded the market by the ridiculous deal that the Jacksonville Jaguars gave him. And from the team's standpoint, I understand not wanting to commit $25 million a year at the wide receiver position. Not because Terry McLaurin's not worth $25 million a year, but because of the simple fact that, one, yes, they love Terry McLaurin. This regime didn't draft Terry McLaurin. So that sense of loyalty that would usually be there probably isn't now that they're at the negotiating table and things are starting to get unchy. And you also invested a lot of resources at the wide receiver position since Ron Rivera has taken over here. And can you afford to pay Terry McLaurin now that you've already invested all this capital at wide receiver? You draft a guy like De'Ami Brown with your, with your third-round pick a season ago. This past draft. You spend a first-round pick on Jahan Dotson where you now have five years of control of this very talented wide receiver, apparently, because from all the reports we've heard, he's killing it in the offseason program so far to this point. And then last offseason during free agency, you blew a bag on Curtis Samuel. So with all that being said, if you now go and pay Terry McLaurin $25 million annually, you're now investing a lot of capital and a resource at one position. And based on the way the NFL is moving, and because of this exploding cap numbers, the National Football League is trying to devalue the wide receiver position. And teams are moving as such. You draft Jahan Dotson, 
You have five years of control with him. Do you need Terry McLaurin? With a receiving core of Dotson, Samuel, De'Ami Brown? Because you can't run four wide receivers out there at a time. Somebody is going to be left out to dry. So my number one concern for the Washington Commanders, you know, heading into training camp is can they get something done with Terry McLaurin that makes sense? And if not, you got to make sure that you're able to strike a deal for this guy because too many times we have seen this football team lose homegrown talent for absolutely nothing. We'll go to the MGM National Harbor listener lines, 1-800-636-1067. Call in with your number one concern for the Washington Commanders heading into training camp. Let's go to Steve and Brandywine. What's going on? Steve. Yes, sir. What's your number one concern, buddy? My number one concern with the Washington Commanders is the defense. I, yeah, I know you're hitting real hard on the offense right now. And with Terry McLaurin, it the guy hasn't been able to show what he's really got because he had a quarterback that couldn't hit him down deep. Two or three times in the season, they let him go, and he got down deep, and he made some great catches. Uh, I think that uh, the quarterback, Carson Wentz, can do what he needs to do, and he can get the ball deep, and he needs people down there. He needs targets down there deep. Uh Everybody they have are showing that they can get down there. And now you can start working some short passes, but every once in a while you can throw that threat. But my real concern is the defense. You have high-paying guys sitting on the front line that aren't earning what they're getting paid. Mm. And they need to show up, and I believe the cornerbacks um, – You know, all last season, you watch the cornerbacks, and guys are running by them, and they're throwing their hands up like, what happened? (laughs) Well, if you didn't know what happened, you shouldn't be playing the game. And and that's just what I really think is that the defense is weak. Hopefully they can stand up and that Carson Wentz will bring some winning to us by having some receivers that can go deep and he can throw the ball deep. I'm tired of these short outs and, you know, counting on a running back coming out and making a shortcut across the center and, you know, getting your first downs. Let's let's get a little more explosive. Yeah, I appreciate the call, Steve, and I have to agree with you. And if my number one concern is Terry McLaurin in the contract situation, a close second, I'd have to agree with Steve, is this defense, and more specifically, the lack of, of pass rush right now for Washington. And I know when I say that, you're probably saying lack of pass rush. They've got Chase Young. They've got Montez Sweat. What more do you want? In the National Football League, as you all know, it's about depth. And and the teams with the most depth are, are usually the ones playing football late into the winter. And It was proven last year when Chase Young and Montez Sweat both went down, this pass rush had a significant drop-off. And I think the pressure and concern for me is just the lack of proven depth at that edge rusher spot. 
And look, I know what it's like to have pressure on you and, and to grow up in this area and, and trying to play for your home team. Chase Young's got a lot of pressure on him. He's coming off a major, you know, off-season knee surgery. And before he got hurt a season ago, he only had a sack and a half through 10 weeks. So it's more so not just the depth. What are we going to get out of our starters? Because Montez Sweat and Chase Young are going to expect to get paid pretty sizable contracts down the road here. And based on their performance from a season ago, and for Montez Sweat, we've got even more data. Are you going to go break the bank for one of these edge rushers? We got to go to break here, but let's get to PJ and Reston before we take the break. PJ, what's your number one concern for the Washington Commanders uh, heading into training camp? Gotcha. So I'm going to sneak in two concerns. My number one concern on offense is the offensive line. Uh, for the first time in maybe like seven, eight years, we've probably got our most skilled position talent at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. We're not like loaded, loaded, but we might be slightly above average. There's some guys. We lost Brandon Sheriff. We lost another tackle, I think. So the offensive line, uh, how they play, I and mean, they might play well, that's my concern offense. On defense, it's linebacker depth. And also the thing with Terry McCorn that I wanted to say is um, something I want to harken back to when Kirk, when we were doing that thing with Kirk Cousins where we were franchising every year and it was like, you know, 20 million, 27, 30 million, his contract ends going up. Kirk Cousins made a great point. Uh, we shouldn't so much necessarily only just focus on what that, that salary is. It should be what percentage of the cap. I don't know if the cap has gone up or down, right? But if Terry McCorn is going to get $25 million and the cap stays the same, maybe issue. But if the cap is going up and his percentage at that $25 million of an $80 million cap would be the same of like $20 million on a $70 million cap, for example. So as long as the cap is going up, you, you can work in that contract. We should keep carrying. Also, uh, I'm a little surprised that so many fans are so hard on, on, on Chase Young. Uh, the guy was injured. Being injured and being a bust is two completely different things. It, it's so weird when I hear people talk about this. The guy was, was hurt like three-fourths of the year last year. Uh, there was nothing ah, to, to PJ, grade him on. The game PJ, against PJ, Tampa PJ, Bay, PJ. let me just squeeze in one more thing. The game against Tampa Bay before he went down, Nobody remembers this. We were up on Tampa Bay like 17-3, and he was balling out. It was when he got injured that Tampa Bay came back and whooped our ass. The guy played like three games last year. Let's just let the guy come back from injury and see how he plays. Then let's judge him. Why are we just so uh, quick to be so petty on players and, and, and throw them down like all, so many of our fans do? Well, look, PJ, I appreciate the call, buddy. And if you're still listening, PJ, to correct you, the kid played 10 games last and only was able to register a sack and a half. The pressure from the fan base being directed at Chase Young, it's real. It is very much real. Two seasons here in Washington, he played 14, 15 games in his rookie year, 10 games last year. That's 25 games played by Chase Young. And... He only has nine career sacks. So clearly the production has not been there for number 99. And obviously, you know, the stat sheet uh, doesn't show his complete impact. But in order to be, to live up and fill the bill of being a number two overall pick at the defensive end position, he's got to have more of an impact 
uh, on football games. And, and going into 2022, him and Montez Sweat, this defense is going to go as far as these two guys take them. We got to take a break here, but when we come back, we'll flip gears one more time here in honor of Ryan Zimmerman weekend. Call in with your favorite Ryan Zimmerman memories. And then I'll ask you this and pose another question on the MGM National Harbor listener lines, 1-800-636-1067. You can tap in with me on Twitter as well, at N-E-L-L underscore B-T-P. Ryan Zimmerman, yes, he's getting his flowers today, but before he retired, kind of was underappreciated by some of our fans here in our D.C. market. In your opinion, call in and tap in with me. Who was the most underappreciated athlete in D.C. sports history? Don't go anywhere. Linnell Willingham here with you for about another 40 minutes here on 106.7 The Fan. We're also streaming live nationally on the Odyssey app. Here's the line of the pitch. Swing and a drive hit well. Deep center field. Way back goes Springer to the warning track. Looking up and it is gone. Goodbye. Bang. Zoom goes the Z-Man. To the deepest part of Minute Maid Park. Just to the left of the batter's eye in center field. Brian Zimmerman with his second home run of the postseason cuts the Astros lead in half. It's Houston 2 and Washington 1 on a postseason World Series home run for Ryan Zimmerman. Ryan Ander kicks the lever. Zim swings and drops one deep center field. Way back on Bowser to the warning track. To the wall. It is Pitching on the way. Swing and a drive left center field deep by the runners pass it. Way back. Going, going. And goal! Goodbye! Bang! Zoom! Goal! The fireworks! The Z-Man has done it again! An open night at National Park! A walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth inning! Wow. Don't you get goosebumps listening to some of those plays from the Z-Man throughout the years. Ryan Zimmerman getting honored today at Nationals Park. Welcome back. This is the fan. Linnell Willingham here with you for about another half hour before I hand things over to the celebration of one Ryan Zimmerman. Ryan Zimmerman weekend here in our nation's capital. Feel free right now to call in. This, This segment is for you guys. MGM National Harbor Listener Lines, 1-800-636-1067. Call in with your favorite Ryan Zimmerman moments. And then if you want to answer the question, who is the most underappreciated athlete in D.C. sports history? And just a beautiful montage put together by my producer, Denton Day. And had one of my favorite moments of Ryan Zimmerman's career here in D.C. That walk-off home run. Uh, against Atlanta to open up Nats Park. You, you couldn't draw it up any better than that. Just something that comes straight out of a straight out of a comic book. Just the ability to make such an impact in such an important game in a moment that quite frankly will live forever 
in the hearts of Nationals fans. And for me, that was my welcoming to Ryan Zimmerman, the baseball player and who he was. And I remember I was in, I think I was in middle school at the time. I was in elementary school, actually, at the time. And just hearing my friends talk about it and not being the biggest baseball fan at the time made me want to tune in to see exciting plays like that. And Ryan Zimmerman uh, and his career here with the Nationals have had plenty uh, of those moments, over 6,600 career at-bats, just just an illustrious career, over 280 career home runs. Arguably will go down, in my opinion, on the D.C. sports Mount Rushmore. But he's also one of the most underappreciated athletes on our nation's capital to ever play as well. And before I take you guys' calls on the MGM National Harbor Listener Lines, 1-800-636-1067, I'll give you my most underappreciated underappreciated athlete on D.C. sports history. And don't kill me with this, guys, on the Twitter app, N-E-L-L underscore B-T-P, because I'm coming out of left field with this one. In Linnell Willingham's opinion, the most underappreciated athlete in D.C. sports history was the eight car. Kirk Cousins, what Kirk Cousins was able to do in the stability that he brought to the quarterback position, <laughs> and I'm almost you know, chuckling as, as I say that, and I do mean it, so please tap in with me and, and feel free to disagree. Kirk Cousins, in my opinion, the most underappreciated athlete in D.C. sports history, he started off as the villain, in my opinion, because people didn't want Kirk Cousins on this team. People didn't understand why the Shanahan's decided to pull the trigger on another quarterback in a draft in which he traded up, you know, to the number two overall pick to select Robert Griffin the third, and then you turn around and draft Kirk Cousins in the fourth round. Nobody knew what to expect from this young man, but he handled himself with such class, grace, and dignity, in my opinion. Even when things got sour here uh, in Washington, obviously got contentious during contract negotiations, the team failing to move with any type of foresight to get a deal done with this guy. And look, I'm only 24 years old. Kirk Cousins is the best quarterback I've seen in Washington football history, dating back to when I started watching the games. And Kirk Cousins was responsible for me seeing my first 4,000-yard passer in the history of my lifetime. Kirk Cousins was responsible for taking us to the playoffs, creating some of the biggest moments in my fandom as a Washington football fan. Kirk Cousins is responsible for most of those moments. And, yes, he had his lowlights, like the Week 17 game at home against the Giants when you're trying to clinch a playoff berth. Other lowlights, the game against Philadelphia when Jordan Reed goes ballistic. You're trying to clinch the NFC East division title, and he takes a knee. <laughs> so obviously, you know, Kirk Cousins wasn't perfect, but what he was able to provide to me as a D.C. sports fan, I think, will never be matched or rivaled. Let's go to the MGM National Harbor Listener Lines. Jim from Falls Church is going to give us his most underappreciated athlete in D.C. sports history. Lay it on me. Hi, Noah. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm old school. I'm out taking a walk. And I have to go with Wes Unser. Oh, the most humble, solid performer ever. 
back in 78, when they took it all, he, he, I mean, the guy has great character. Uh, he, 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 I don't know. Um, to me, people didn't give him enough. And that's, that's how I feel about it. Hey, look, I appreciate your call, Jim. And that's an interesting answer. Obviously, Wes Unsell way, 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 way before Linnell's time. Um, but I respect it. I respect it. Obviously, I know uh, how much he meant to that Washington Bullets, Washington Wizards franchise. And now to see his son, Wes Unsell Jr., uh, on the bench for the D.C. family, trying to lead this team back to the prominence you know that, that, that they once were in while Wes Unsell was on the court. It's an interesting answer, though. Let's go to Paulie from the 757. Paulie, who was your most underappreciated athlete in D.C. sports history? Hell to the W, man. Hell I kind of missed out on that. But I, I, all I know, man, you've been bugging like for the past 40 minutes, man. First of all, let me shout out my man Ryan Zimmer, Zimmerman, yes, 757 finest, Kellum High School, Virginia Beach. You know what I mean? Let me get that out the way, man. But Kirk Cousins, bro, yes. come on, man. He took it to the playoffs one time. He just him and RG three did the same thing. Took it to the playoffs one time. At least RG did it in an exciting fast fashion, man. Four thousand yards passing, bro. About fifteen hundred of them yards always happens when we was losing. It didn't mean that. Oh, he choked man. under pressure. He choked under pressure. He crapped his pants under pressure. Good lord. A most under no. He he's rated right where he needs to be. Controversial. That's it, man. That, that's like saying Russ Grossman is the most underrated player in Chicago Bear history. He took them to the Super Bowl. Come on, bro. That's not comparable. Stop with that. It, it is very comparable. And then, hold on, hold on. Did you say what you say? They, they the league is trying to divide the wide receiver position. Did, did you see all this money you get thrown around for wide receivers? All these first round draft picks. And did you see the way uh, the uh, Kansas uh, City Chiefs responded by getting Tyree Kill the hell up out of there because they said no, yeah, we're on. not going to pay a no, wide receiver that no, no. much money. No, 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 no. They didn't want to pay him a third contract. That's all. They they played with fire with Tyree Hill. They played with fire. They got what they wanted out of him. They got a Super Bowl ring. They they, they went to another Super Bowl. They figured, you know what? This guy's going to self-destruct in a minute anyways. We've been playing around with fire with him. We're not going to give him a third deal. They gave him good money on the second deal. That's understandable with them. But still, somebody else took, took him on, gave him money. It's like three, four. It, it, we got three more receivers is about to get paid. How's he? How's that devalue you in the position, man? I don't know what you've been drinking this afternoon. You must have started <laughs> Juneteenth a little bit earlier today. You know what I mean? You be getting your Juneteenth weekend on. I, I feel you on that one, man. Come on, man. And, and then you saying <laughs> the Chase Young? We, uh, Chase, we had no pass. Yo, with Chase Young and Montez any... Sweat. Listen, with Chase Young and Montez Sweat went out, the pass rush picked up. You know why? And this goes back into what concerns me the most coaching staff. You know why? Because the coaching staff had them young guys and, and the, uh, the, the guys you didn't know playing fundamental football. If you was a defensive end, you was a defensive end. You was rushing the quarterback, not playing linebacker. You know, so that's who, that's what worries me the most is the coaching staff, man. Ron, look, Ron, Ron Rivera first season and, and, and last season, you heard a common theme. Because remember, we wasn't winning all the time in that first season, but you heard a common theme. And that theme was immaturity and undiscipline. But, but damn, Ron, you can't even discipline your head coach. I mean, your assistant coach. He's immature. You know, so it's starting to say, like, hold on. The team is, un, is, is undisciplined and immature because we ain't got a leader at the head coach position. They following what they see. 
That's a spicy, you know I mean? that's a spicy nope. take. And, Paulie, I appreciate the call. Boy, I appreciate you guys tapping in with me. MGM National Harbor Listed Line. Spicy answers and discussion here. But when we get back on the other side of this break, we'll continue with the baseball team and around the theme of what today is. Ryan Zimmerman, Jersey retirement here on 106.7 The Fan starting at 3 o'clock when I get off the air with you. But when we come back, I'll be joined by NBC Sports Washington Nationals insider Matt Wyrick, who is at the ballpark right now. He'll give us the latest on the Zimmerman retirement ceremony. Plus, we'll ask him some questions uh, on these Nats. Seven-game losing streak. Baseball getting tough right now for the boys. Does he see Josiah Gray being a part of this long-term rotation? Find out. On the other side of this timeout, Linnell Willingham here with you on 106.7 The Fan. We're also streaming live nationally on the Odyssey app. Welcome back. Linnell Willingham here with you on 106.7 The Fan. Here with you for about two more segments before we hand things over to Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler. Special edition of Nats on Deck as it is Ryan Zimmerman Day here in our nation's capital. The official jersey retirement of the Nats, great Ryan Zimmerman. And speaking of the Nats, joining me right now on the BetQL guest hotline, Bet Smarter Beat the Books. Download the BetQL app today is NBC Sports Washington Nationals insider Matt Wayrick. You can follow him on Twitter at by Matt Wyrick. Matt, thanks for joining me, buddy. Absolutely. No, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Matt, it's a big weekend here in our nation's capital, getting to celebrate the great Ryan Zimmerman. Explain a little bit as a young fan, what he meant to you growing up and just how important this weekend is for this franchise. Yeah, you know, Zimmerman faced the franchise for as long as anybody who's been a fan of this team can remember. Uh, Inaugural draft pick of the team back in 2005, spent very little time in the minor leagues and really just hit the ground running in his career. And as the Nationals kind of stumbled out of the gate for the first few years of their franchise, Zimmerman was the reason to go to games. He was the excitement. He brought all of the attention to the ball club during those lean years. And then once they started making the playoffs, he was a big part of that too. So the Nationals are going to be holding a ceremony today to retire his number 11. It'll be the first time in franchise history they are retiring a jersey number. He'll be inaugurated into the Nationals' ring of honor uh, with the ceremony before today's game against the Phillies. So all around a huge day uh, for this organization, for this fan base, and certainly a momentous occasion in the life of Ryan Zimmerman. And Matt, before we went to the break, I was asking the callers out there some of their favorite moments uh, in in Ryan Zimmerman's career. What what was one one of your favorite moments in his career, Matt? Man, there's so many to choose from. I mean, the broken back single uh, in that wild card game was awesome. You know, the first walk-off home run at Nationals Park. Uh, But I think the thing that really stood out to me, just being a a guy who grew up in the area following this team, uh, in 2009 he put together a 30-game hit streak, which is among the the 40 longest uh, in MLB history. Uh, And I just remember, you know, every morning, you know, during that streak, after it got to maybe 15, 20 games, I was, I was checking the, the newspaper, checking uh, ESPN.com, saying, okay, did he get another hit? Did he get another hit? Uh, and just following along, and, and, you know, that summer, it, you know, like I said, the team really wasn't very good, but Zimmerman was the reason to pay attention. And, you know, for that to just to be going on, for him to, to get up in the history books like that, it was, it was really cool to see for a young fan. And, Matt, we'll switch gears here a little bit to the current squad. Josiah Gray on the bump today for D.C. Three earned runs in his last three starts. Obviously, he was a big piece of that fire sale last year at the deadline for this team. Played good ball his last three starts. What is the ceiling you see for Josiah Gray, and do you think he could be a part of this rotation regularly? 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, they, the Nationals acquired him with the hopes of him being a number two, number three starter. You know, he has that strikeout potential to potentially, you know, get up into that number one category, but he's got a long way to go. You know, he, he is off to a nice little run here. Last three starts have been pretty impressive, but uh, two starts that really stand out to me this year were against the Astros and the Dodgers, two really good offenses uh, where he gave up six and seven runs respectively. So, you know, he needs to come out and show that he can stand up with some of the best offenses in the league. And he's going to have the chance to do that today against the Phillies, who have been red hot, and particularly this offense, just up and down so many good bats in this lineup. You know, this is going to be a real good test for Gray uh, as he continues to show the Nationals that he can be a part of this rotation moving forward. And, you know, what that ceiling will be is, is up to him, and, and we'll see how he does against the Phillies today. Joining me right now on the BetQL guest hotline, Bet Smarter Beat the Books. Download the BetQL app today as NBC Sports Washington Nats insider Matt Wyrick. You can follow him on Twitter at ByMattWyrick. And, Matt, I'll switch things over to the other part of this pitching staff, talking about Steven Strasburg. I haven't talked to you since I believe it was last weekend, and we thought he was on pace to get that start Tuesday night against the Braves. Obviously, another MRI revealed some more damage. If you can go into a little bit more detail about the Steven Strasburg injury and when, you, when we can expect to see him again. Yeah, Strasburg in his between starts bullpen experienced some discomfort, uh, went and got checked out, and it turned out he had a stress reaction of the ribs in the second and third ribs there, uh, which uh, Davey Martinez said is does stem from his thoracic outlet syndrome surgery uh, that he had last year and was dealing with for the first two months of the season. So unfortunately, he's dealing with the lingering effects there. He's visiting a specialist this week. Uh, to get an, a second opinion uh, and see what exactly a timetable will look like for him to get back to the field. I mean, really, everything is up in the air right now. The Nationals uh, have not announced when they expect to see him again. David Martinez did say he will pitch again. Uh, when that is, you know, it remains to be seen. But certainly, this is not the news the Nationals or Strasburg were hoping to get after he made just one start in his return uh, last week against the Marlins. We were hoping. Uh, that this would be the start of, of a you know momentous return for Strasburg after he had only made seven starts in the previous two years, but it's looking like the injury bug has bit him again, and the Nationals and Strasburg can only hold their breaths until they get that second opinion. And Matt, this is a really difficult situation for the team, just from a financial standpoint. He he makes so much money and, and is such a big part of your payroll, and you're not once again not going to be able to have him for a big chunk of the season moving forward. What is the outlook for Steven Strasburg? Is this somebody who you think can be an everyday starter for Washington? I know Patrick Corbin, obviously another big part of this payroll as well. Do you see a guy like him maybe going to the bullpen? Yeah. You know, I think that there's four years left on Strasburg's contract and it's really hard to say how much you can really count on him to be on the field at this point. I mean, just, with the, the nerve damage that he's had, the thoracic outlet syndrome, I mean, these are kind of unforeseeable injuries. You know, we, we talk about Strasburg and his long history of injuries with his elbow and his shoulder, things like that. There are normal rehabs for those kinds of injuries. There's set timetables for when you're able to get back on the field. With, when it comes to this stuff, it is a completely different ball game. Uh, and Strasburg is really, you know, one of not maybe the first, but kind of this first wave of pitchers who are really having to deal with this stuff. Uh, and figure out how to combat it and, and remain an effective pitcher. So there really is, it's kind of anyone's guess at this point, uh, how much Na Strasburg is going to be able to give the Nationals over these last four years of his contract. But certainly Washington is hoping that he can get back on the field and is going to do everything it can 
uh, to try and get him back there. So between him and Corbin, who, as you said, are both taking up a very big chunk of the payroll, that certainly hinders the national spending abilities. But with the team potentially changing owners this offseason, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe they get an infusion of money and they're able to work past these contracts. Uh, you know, Corbin has been struggling a lot coming off of a pretty poor start uh, against the Phillies this week. So, you know, overall, they, they can't really, you know, rely on either of those guys to be the consistent aces that they were earlier in their careers until they show they can do it again. And more on this Patrick Corbin thing, because as you mentioned, he, he's really has just been poor, as you put it very kindly, the way he's played in his last few starts. Is it a mechanics thing with Corbin? Can we see him get back to this 2019 form? Because right now, he's definitely been a liability for the squad. Yeah, you know, I, I think pitch location is a big part of it, leaving a lot of pitches over the middle of the plate. Uh, you know, his slider, which used to be his most effective pitch, uh, and actually one of the best sliders by a left-handed pitcher in all of baseball, uh, it's really lost a lot of spin on the pitch, you know, from what it was back in 2019. Uh, it's not grown as hard. It doesn't have as much movement on it as it used to. And as, as a such, you know, it's, it's not going to be as effective. And that pitch really set up his fastball and the rest of his repertoire. And when his slider isn't working like that, you know, he has to kind of adjust and, and work other ways. And so far, he hasn't been able to find a solution uh, that has turned into consistency for him. He's had a few productive outings this year for sure. Uh, you know, he'll show flashes of, okay, you know, maybe he can be uh, a guy who at least can give you a start every five days and keep you in the ball game, but then he'll all of a sudden blow up and you're, you're left scratching your head. So, you know, both the Nationals and, and Corbin are still working to try and figure things out, uh, but you have to think that at a certain point, a move to the bullpen might have to be in play. Maybe not this season, uh, but next year and beyond, considering you still have a couple more years of team control left, you know, that might be something the Nationals have to explore down the line if you can't figure things out. Want to keep things on the pitchers here, Matt. The young man, Cade Cavalli, down in the farm system. How close do you think he is to making his way up to the big leagues? He's obviously been dominant in some of his uh, minor league starts. How soon do you think we'll see Cade Cavalli? Yeah, Cavalli got off to a pretty poor start to this year in AAA, and it actually is kind of carrying over his struggles uh, in Rochester from last season. He really did kind of hit a wall there in AAA, so the Nationals sent him back down there to work on things to start the year. Started off slow, but over his last couple of starts, he really has been a lot better, uh, racking up some solid strikeout totals, You know, keeping the walks down, which is control, is the biggest thing that is kind of the wild card for him. Uh, though I asked Davey Martinez earlier this week, you know, when might we see uh, Cade Cavalli, and he didn't seem to indicate that there was going to be a call-up anytime soon, saying he still needed to work on some things, that Cavalli is a big part of the Nationals' future, and he will be a National at some point. Uh, but whether that's this year or next year, uh, you know, that hasn't been yet determined. So it's really going to depend on how well Cavalli does down the stretch and, you know, how much need the Nationals have in their rotation the rest of the season. You know, they have Anibal Sanchez working his way back from an injury. Uh, at this moment, Joanna Doan obviously sent back down to AAA, but he might get another chance uh, at some point this year. So depending on what the Nationals, how far the Nationals see him coming along and his development will really determine when he's up in the majors. Does that surprise you at all, Matt? Because I'm thinking, well, what the hell does the team have to lose? Obviously, the arms right now are struggling for this club. Can you can you explain to us the potential benefits and, and the negatives of bringing him up too soon? You know, I really think that it, it comes down to his control and his, you know, being settled into AAA. You know, he has a nice little run here of good starts uh, for Rochester. But, you know, ultimately the Nationals want to see him get that ERA probably a little farther down. Nice strikeout-to-walk ratio. That's a big number for minor league pitchers. 
you know, I think that you could call him up at any point, And like you said, it really wouldn't hurt considering the state of the Nationals rotation is not very good anyway. Uh, you know, that you could make room for him if you really wanted to. Uh, but the Nationals being in a, a losing season, you know, probably don't feel the need to rush him and, and think that, okay, when he's ready, they want to call him up similar to what they did with Luis Garcia. They want to call him up and not have to send him back down. Uh, one, you know, if he were to struggle, they want to make sure he is 100% ready uh, before he reaches the major leagues. And you know, they've really struggled to develop pitchers over the years. So Cavalli is is a big pivotal player for them. Uh, you know, not just this year but beyond uh, as a player that they could finally develop to be a mainstay in their rotation. So they want to get it right. Uh, and if that, that means taking a few extra weeks, a few extra months, maybe even into next season to make sure they do get it right. Uh, you know, as long as he comes up and, and produces when he does, I think that that's the right call. And Matt, I'll let you go on this. Josh Bell's bat has obviously been on fire. Two home runs yesterday. When he was brought in, it was initially looked like he was going to be a chip for this team to potentially move at the deadline to acquire uh, some young pieces back in return. Is there a scenario in which you think he can stay around here long term? Because I'd love to see him hit more home runs. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm sure the fan base would love to see him uh, stick around in D.C., uh, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. You know, the, the last we heard from him was that there were no contract negotiations going on. And Mike Rizzo even said that they're not ne- negotiating with any players on extensions until they figure things out with Soto. So with that still ongoing, uh, it's very likely that Bell is moved at the trade deadline considering the Nationals, uh, you know, are, have the second worst record in Major League Baseball right now. They're really not flirting with any kind of chance of, of making a playoff run this year. So it's looking like they're going to be sellers. Mike Rizzo has already pretty much admitted as much uh, on the radio as well. So I think Bell is, is likely to get, along with Nelson Cruz, probably the best return of any of their players with expiring contracts this year. So uh, I would consider Bell to be uh, certainly on the market at this point. Matt, I appreciate you joining me, my man. Enjoy the weekend at the ballpark. Hey, I appreciate it, man. Thanks. That was Matt Wyrick joining me on the BetQL guest hotline. Bet smarter, beat the books, download the BetQL app today. You can follow him on Twitter at ByMattWyrick. When we come back, one final segment here on Overtime before I hand things over to Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler for their special edition of Nats on Deck. We'll cover Ryan Zimmerman's jersey retirement ceremony. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to The Fan. 